thinking about what I should bring and many thoughts and, and scriptures were working through my mind and but the Lord took me to Ephesians 4 and this is sort of in keeping with what the theme in which Timothy's been preaching over the last few weeks about the Beatitudes and, and he talked about that Beatitude of meekness and this is really what is still staying in that same theme of, of meekness and lowliness and long-suffering. And, you know, I believe these, these, these attributes are so important, friends. They're so important for the Christian today, especially in which the days in which we live in. I don't know about you, but there seems to be a spirit of pride about the place, does there not? I mean, prayed in the workplace, prayed out in the streets, even in our own homes, even in our governments. There seems to be a spirit of vanity and arrogance and, and, and self-importance and egotism. I mean, would I be wrong in saying that? Does, it, I, does anybody notice these things? You know, I, I just sense these things on the TV and listen to the radio and just being out and about, you know. But you know, this, this spirit runs totally contrary to the word of God and, 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 and to the life of a believer. But turn with me to Ephesians 4. And we're, we're going to read the first seven verses. And this is Paul writing to the Ephesians. And he says, I therefore, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. You know, Paul, Paul penned this letter when he was in Rome. He was a prisoner in a Roman dungeon. Some believe this letter to be, to the Ephesians, to be the so-called letter to, to the Laodiceans in, 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 in Revelation 3. I, I don't know about that. But this letter to the Ephesians has two basic themes. And the first one is how we as believers are redeemed to God. And the second one, the one that we're going to look at for a short while tonight. How we, how we as the redeemed must live. How we as the redeemed must live. You know, there's an awful lot in us, but I, I, I'm just going to touch on a few things tonight and, and then we'll have a time of prayer. You know, there are 25 directives given in Ephesians on how the redeemed ought to live. I'm not going to mention them all, but there are three broad categories. Number one, believers are called to a new life of purity and separation from the world and called to be holy without blame before him in love. In love. 
And you know, friends, that love is very, very important. Number two, believers are called to a new way of life in family and vocation and vocational relationships. These relationships are to be governed by principles. By principles that mark believers as distinctly different from the secular society in which they live. And finally, number three, as believers are called to stand firm, stand firm against all of the devil's schemes and against the spiritual wickedness in high places. But I just want to look just for a short time, just very practically, it's very I'm not teaching us how to suck eggs tonight. Like, you know, I mean, it's very simple and very practical, but I just want us to look at as, as, on, on how we as believers, we as sons and daughters of God, on how we walk and live this life before God and before this world. And friends, let me tell you, there's a ton of stuff here, an absolute ton of stuff. I am just a wee pinprick on it. So, it's very, very simple. But Paul starts off by saying in verse 1, I beseech thee, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. He appeals to these Ephesians. He appeals to them in a spirit of earnestness. He pleads with them to take heed, to take heed to their walk and to their conversation. That it be as became the calling by grace under the glory with which they were called. He beseeches them to walk worthy of the high calling of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. He challenges them to walk worthy of it. To walk as children of light. To walk in the liberty wherewith Christ has made them free. To walk by faith and not by sight. To walk in the ways of God and to walk on constantly. To keep on walking, to walk on constantly, and and no no back turning, no no retreating, but to keep on walking, but just to keep on walking and to keep on walking and to keep on walking right until he calls us home. Colossians one and ten says that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing. In the knowledge of God. Philippians 1.27 says. Only let your conversation be. As it becometh. The gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you. Or else be absent. I may hear. He says to these Ephesians. I may hear. I may not come and see you. But I may hear. I may hear of your affairs. That ye stand fast. Stand fast. In one spirit. With one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So he beseeches them that they would walk worthy of the vocation wherewith they're called. And now he tells them in verse 2, of the spirit. Of the spirit in which they are to walk in. It says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering forbearing one another in love. And you know, that word loneliness means humility. It means humility. It means submissive. It means compliant and unpretending. It is the opposite to pride. It means not to think too highly of ourselves. And it means to walk in agreement. To walk in agreement with God. To walk in agreement 
with each other, with our brothers and our sisters. Philippians 2 and 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness, in lowliness of mind, let each, let each esteem each other better, better than themselves. You know, friends, if I may say this, this is an attribute rarely seen in the church today. Walking in the in, in lowliness. Psalm 138 and 6 says, Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. But the proud he knoweth afar off. Proverbs 16 and 19 says, Better is it to be of a humble spirit with the lowly. Of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. He encourages us to walk in lowliness, in lowliness. So not only did he tell us to walk with all loneliness, but he goes on to say in meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. You know, Timothy's already uh, spoke about that, that meekness, so let's look at long-suffering. And you know, that long-suffering means bearing patiently, bearing patiently with the faults and weaknesses of others. You know, there is no virtue perhaps is more frequently demanded than this one of long-suffering. This one of patience and long-suffering. You know, I don't think most of us need to travel too far in our journey of life before we find that there is occasion to use this, to use this spirit of long-suffering. You know, I, I've probably said this before, but I'll be honest with you, as I've, I, I know I'm not a patient man, as Patricia. Ask Naomi, I, I'm impatient. Lord, give me patience. Lord, give me patience. But Paul says, it is essential in our walk with Christ, possessing patience, in our souls, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring, he goes on to say, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. John 13 and 35 says, By this, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another, you know, love must be the distinguishing mark of all of Christ's followers. The believer is commanded to love in a greater and special way than those in that world out there. Friends, the greatest in the kingdom of God are those who are great in love. Great in love. You know, when you've got a chance, read 1 Corinthians 13, the, the great love chapter. But, but let me explain it like this. Love does not give up. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not put itself up as being important. 
Love has no pride. Love never thinks of itself. Love does not get angry. Love does not remember the suffering that comes from being hurt. Love takes everything that comes without giving up. Love believes all things. Love hopes for all things. And love never comes to an end. Friends, when there's love, when there's love, then there'll be a unity. There'll be a unity of spirit, a unity of mind, a unity of heart, and a unity of purpose. And finally, the apostle says, endeavoring, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And that word endeavor means to attempt, to to strive, to help, to make an effort or to go to great lengths. And what the apostle is saying here is, we must do all in our power to keep that unity. You know, the devil, the flesh, and the world will want to come in and try to bring, bring division and separation and bitterness among the people of God. But the Bible says, we are the endeavor. We are to do our utmost to keep the unity. Friends, remember, the unity of the church is already made, but it's up to us, you and I, to keep it, to maintain it. We must avoid whatever in word or deed would break it. We must avoid it. We must turn away from it. We must shun it completely. You know, Psalm 133 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. And folks, it's here that the Lord commands the blessing. You know, we can all quote this verse off. We've heard it preached many, many times. But let me ask you, and I ask myself the same question, is it residing in our hearts? Is it residing in our hearts? Friends, it's only when there's a spirit of unity that the blessing can flow that the Spirit will be poured out. You know, it's not just with our own wee cliques or, or, or those who we feel important, no, but friends, that love and unity must flow to each and every one. Each and every one that are members of the body of Christ. Jesus prayed in John 17 that his followers would be established in love, holiness, and unity. For he knew that the Holy Spirit could not operate among them if there were divisions based on selfish, based on sin and selfish ambition. Friends, spiritual unity is maintained by being loyal to the truth and keeping in step with the Spirit. Friends, hear me tonight, it cannot be attained by the flesh. It's only going to happen when we live and when we walk in the Spirit. And you know, friends, here's the secret to it all. Here's the secret to it all. Galatians 2 and 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. 
Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Christ liveth in me. You know, let me, as I come to a close here, let me read you this wee daily reading. And it says this. The church is full of ministers, Sunday school teachers, and workers, evangelists, and missionaries, in whom the gifts of the Spirit are manifest, and who bring blessings to multitudes. But who, when no one close up, are found to be full of self? They may think they have forsaken all for Christ, and imagine they would be ready to die for their master. But deep down in their hidden private lives, there lurks that sinister power of self. Such persons wonder why they do not have victory over their wounded pride, their touchiness, their greediness, their lovelessness, their failure to experience the promised river's of living waters. Oh, the secret is not far away. They secretly and habitually practice shrine worship. Shrine worship at the shrine of self. There they bow daily and do obeisance. In the outward cross they glory, but inwardly they worship another God and stretch out their hands to serve a pitied, pampered, petted self-life. The outward cross, the payment of sin's penalty, the death of the substitute they know. But the amazing mystery and undreamed depths of that cross as it is to be applied to the inner life they know not. But until Christ works out in you an inner crucifixion, which will, cut, which will cut you off from self-infatuation and unite you to God in a deep union of love, a thousand heavens could not give you peace. To one who asked George Mueller, the secret of his service. He replied this, the day that I died. The day, there was a day when I died. And as he spoke, he bent lower until he almost touched the floor. Continuing, he added, die to George Mueller. Died to George Mueller. His opinions, preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the world, its approval or censor. Died to the approval or blame, even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved 
onto God. He died to self. I need to learn that. I, I need to learn that. Could we stand, please? Amen.